movement in the hockey world. This is Ingoal Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingoal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, bring you our feature interview involving Kevin Weeks, former National Hockey League goaltender, now a broadcaster on multiple platforms around the National Hockey League. He will discuss his playing days and uh, take us on a couple of journeys uh, inside the dressing room and what it's like to play with star goaltenders. As we get to that conversation, there is also big news regarding the National Hockey League's return to play plan. There is a strong indication that uh, small groups will be allowed on the ice in the next, uh, well, inside of single-digit days by the looks of things with a plan and a format in place for when the teams are allowed to return to action. Let's uh, get into uh, all of this, including our Access Goalie Customizer Equipment Contest and uh, Hutch this this has been going pretty good. Uh, I I know I surprised you with this question, but this this contest is coming to a close, and people are upping their game. They are upping their game. Yeah, it wasn't too much of a surprise. I'm just not sure which thread you're about to pull on in that intro. There's <laughs> uh, <laughs> so much going on now. Uh, I gotta love the effort people are making. Look, to enter the contest is is a pretty simple simple thing. You just have to go to the uh, CCM customizer, pick out the gear you like, design it. Uh, and post it on your social account with the right hashtag. But we've had a few people go overboard, haven't we? We uh, we had the one entry, which included superimposing the new pads, a really hot design, I got to say, uh, on top of a game action photo with our three celebrity judges in the background in a, in a really fun kind of way as well, cheering them on. And then last night we had posted one, a full video that has had the design imposed on top of it. So Got a few people who want to help us out here at Ingle, I think, with all those talents. Love to see people up in their game. You don't have to do it that way if you want to enter. It's real simple, but we're really happy that some people have been enjoying it like this. Yeah, close to a thousand entries between Instagram and Twitter combined already. Uh, contest closes Sunday. That is May 31st, the last of May at midnight. So it's still an opportunity to get on the CCM customizer, design your set, and then post it to either Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag CCMAxisAllOut, and you'll be entered to win a new custom set of your own, of course, after the celebrity judges have a look through all those entries, and we help them with that. Roberta and Luongo. And who are they again? Some guy yeah. named Roberta Luongo, Charlene Labonte, and John Sebastian Jaguer. Of course, all three of them were uh, goalies that wore the former Premier 2 line that the Axis line replaces, so we thought we'd have a little bit of uh, sort of passing of the torch um, literally and uh, and uh, figuratively. That's amazing, that response. So over a thousand entries. Uh, mine will be posted uh, on Friday, a couple of days ahead of the contest closing. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I know I'm not eligible to win, but uh, it's so much fun just to go down that rabbit hole and uh, and uh, take advantage of the customizer. Are you guys actually going to, uh, to submit an offering or are you going to fall back on the idea that, oh, we're just part of the uh, the judging and we want to remain independent? Can I just... Can I just do a photo? Because we had the new Axis arrive at the house a couple days ago. We've had oh. it in the studio. Nice, sweet setup. Green, black, and white. Um, again, I'm not judging, so all those nice green, black, and white sets that I've seen uh, on Instagram, not necessarily uh, helping your your chances just because you're picking the right colors. But uh, I think we got a pretty hot set here, and we've been enjoying taking photos. So can that be my entry? 
That's, sure. And that's, of course, the second set, because uh, we've already had the blue set that you've seen all over our Twitter. That, uh, that arrived uh, a while back, early in this sort of lockdown uh, for our review set. So, yeah, I guess what we're saying here, not to uh, not to rub it in too much, Darren, but uh, we've already done our designs. That silence you hear is anger, jealousy, frustration, and envy. And all of that comes into one big mixing bowl, and I stir it up. Uh, you know, a lot of people were envious uh, who didn't get a chance to take part in the In Goal in-person webinar involving uh, John Stevenson and Braden Holtby on the weekend. And that was a fabulous, uh, in really um, fun conversation where Braden Holtby... Uh, well, we just don't get to see him uh, and talk to him in, in in that fashion. It was it was really inviting. So many gems, yeah. So many gems out of that conversation. We could clip so many great pieces, but the one that just sort of came away was when my little guy looked at me afterwards and he said, "It's so weird. They're just normal people, and, right? You know, and isn't that great? And as I think I said, as we finished, the irony of these things." of now where we're all sort of shut in and, and away from each other in a very personal way is we're now getting a chance to connect with some of these guys in a much more personal way than than ever before so so exciting that we're able to bring these guys into people's homes um my favorite piece out of the whole thing we'll probably get a clip up on social at some point was when Braden's dad didn't want him to be a goaltender something i can't understand uh, and then let the kid who could do the splits uh, be the goalie on the team. So Braden went home and practiced until he could do the splits. Uh, you got to love that passion. And I loved uh, John Stevenson being a part of it. Obviously, the relationship well-documented and going way back as, as his goalie coach originally in the Western Hockey League and now a sports psychologist or has evolved to also do sports psychology work. Um, there were takeaways in there, right? Like it was great to have that interaction. And I love all the people that posted and, and we're getting emails from parents saying the hard part is when this all ends is my kid kind of feels like he's just sitting down every Saturday afternoon with these professional goalies and all stars and Stanley cup winners and Vesna trophy winners. He's just hanging out with them like their buddy, like, you know, they're, they're going to miss that if it goes away. Um, but there were takeaways here beyond the Q and a specific things you can do that they've worked on. Um, things that a lot of parents would probably be happy to hear in terms of just how bad for your brain and 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 concentration and and so some of the mental things we're trying to groove as goaltenders, video games can be. Uh, I thought that was fascinating to hear from both John Stevenson from a sports psychology standpoint and then Braden Holtby from a lifestyle standpoint. So I love the takeaways. I love the fact that we get to see them, but we also get to learn from them. It was um it was great. We've got another one coming up this weekend. Yeah, and great uh, bonus for everybody that uh, is an in-goal premium uh, subscriber. This weekend, Hacha, what do we have on our plate? Uh, we have a world champion. Pretty exciting. Um, Winnipeg's own Joel Hofer has, uh, was the goaltender back in Canada at the World Junior Championships this year. Had a fantastic podcast interview with him right after, which I love just because you could see the excitement. Uh, you could hear the excitement. He and I did it on video. And, uh, and I mean, we've known each other for three or four years now, but the fact that in the middle of our interview, he ran and said, Oh, just let me get my helmet and show you, let me get my Jersey and show you. And, uh, and just that passion that, that, uh, that Joel had, uh, he's going to bring to our whole audience this weekend. And what I love about Joel is that he's got a great development story for everybody. Who's always worried about where you are in your development as a 12, 13, 14 year old. 
Joel was not drafted to the Canadian Hockey League. He wasn't drafted to the Western Hockey League. Uh, and then he ended up backstopping Canada to a gold medal. So he's joining us along with his longtime uh, summer coach, Eli Wilson, another great friend of Ingalls over the years. And we're going to talk about uh, Joel's development, um, what he does that has enabled him to become the goaltender that he is. And you talk about normal people. Uh, Joel's just a fantastic guy. He, over the last several summers, has uh, taken my guy under his wing. They've become good buddies and, and you know, just hanging out and um, don't tell John Stevenson playing a few video games together. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just another one of those great guys in the game. And, and what it, I think fun to be able to bring him to our audience because as much as we all aspire to be Carey Price, Braden Holtby, um, Joel's not too many steps ahead of a lot of our listeners and a nice chance to learn from his experience in the game. It sounds like a lesson there too, Hutch, that follows up on last week with with Mackenzie Blackwood going from goalie for the first time at age 12 to the NHL at 21. Um, you don't have to be five years in by the time you're 12 or 13 years old to succeed when it matters. There's so many different paths, aren't there? And uh, having the goalie coaches uh, on at the same time or uh, sports psychologists on at the same time to balance and, and bounce things off of uh, these uh, these athletes is pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's multiple a, perspectives, different perspectives, and it's a it's a partnership, isn't it? So nice to learn about how that partnership has uh, helped a goaltender along in their development path. That is coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, time and date: uh, Saturday. That is the thirtieth of May, and it is at one p.m. Pacific or four p.m. Eastern. I know we've bounced back and forth between noon and one, but one o'clock this weekend. Uh, and and what do you mention getting notes from people uh, about all sorts of different things around these? And I got one this week from somebody who hadn't seen our notice that went out to members yet. And he just said, what do we got on Saturday? I plan my weekends around these things. I need to know what's happening Saturday. So uh, I hope a lot of other people will will plan their weekend around this hour. It's going to be a great one. That's awesome. Uh, what a run uh, it has been for Ingle in person and uh, those webinars that uh, are really uh, such a, a benefit to goaltenders, uh, parents, uh, coaches, uh, goalie coaches, uh, as well as uh, just mentors, and uh, it's 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 awesome. And uh, that's for in-goal premium subscribers. Uh, there is some news regarding the return to play plan for the National Hockey League, and uh, it sounds like at uh, at some point we may lo- lose our weekend access to uh, to some of these uh, uh, top players because uh, Gary Bettman uh, announcing that the 24-team return-to-play format has been agreed to by both the league and the uh, the National Hockey League Players Association. There is a uh, phase two uh, of that plan, which uh, hasn't gone into place yet, but is uh, designed around small groups, uh, six players uh, maximum uh, on the ice uh, and then rotating through uh, with each organization at their training facility. But there's a in, in the big return to play memo that was sent out, Woody, you noticed that uh, there was uh, some fine print and some, some attention to goaltending and specific to coaches because coaches won't be and managers won't be allowed on the ice with these small groups. In phase two, there's yeah, a, there, yeah, there there's were, a small window here, though. Yeah, there's there is some interesting language in phase two, and the first one was that goaltenders would be allowed to stay out on the ice longer um, than players, and and I thought that was interesting. I know there were some goaltenders that knee jerk reaction was, "Oh crap, we're going to be targets," and they're just going to you know because obviously if you have up to twenty eight players, you've and groups of six, you're talking you know minimum five groups. 
you got two or three goalies on a team like, geez, are they going to have to stay out there for all these groups and just basically serve as glorified targets? I don't think that's the case. Uh, we've seen where you have to stay within your group. So I think that's why you actually see the rules about unlimited goaltenders. You could see teams bring in, you know, well beyond one, two, three on the depth chart to make sure there is a goalie, a target for each of those small groups wherever possible without having to have a goaltender jump from group to group, which is kind of forbidden. Um, and that means the intention of giving them the extra ice time was to give them the opportunity to work with their goalie coach, their position, position, oh, easy for me to say, position specific coaches. The only catch there is, as you said, Darren, team coaches aren't allowed on the ice during phase two. So that brings us to the other sort of extra part of this, which is independent coaches just for goalies will be allowed on the ice. In other words, to me, and I've, I've reached out to a number of people, and there was a little bit of confusion or uncertainty, I should say, in terms of what, what this is about. But but basically, this is the PA wanting to maintain some of the elements they've built into their summer rules as part of phase two. Phase two is essentially August. Like if we were to equate it to a regular off season, this is August. This is when guys go out, they work with their independent goalie coaches on their own. They take part in shinny skates and do that type of stuff. But technically, you're not supposed to, it's not that you're not supposed to, but you're not supposed to have to work with the team goalie coach. And so some guys do a little quietly off to the side, has to be their choice. But essentially in phase two, you're not going to be able to. And I guess that makes sense in terms of trying to maintain that consistency and not wanting teams to be able to dictate in a summer environment who you work with. But when we're trying to narrow the groups and narrow the bubble and not bring outside people into that bubble because we don't want to risk infection, and when goalies and all players, as soon as they report for phase two, are forbidden from doing any private training at any rink outside of the team facilities, again, in order to make sure they're not exposed to a broader range of people and environments, inviting somebody who could be working in those environments privately into your rink, I got to be honest with you, that one is a head scratcher for me and one that, you know, I've heard from some people, like there are some teams that are just like, that's not happening here. So I'll be very curious to see where this goes. I do think talking to goalie coaches, the impression around the league is that most guys will stay home and continue to do their work rather than and just sort of skate where they can and work with their private consultants rather than rush home to their NHL city. But what if you're in a city where you can't get on the ice because the rinks aren't open and, you, and, and your only choice to get ice is to go back home? What if you're in Sweden where you can skate and have been skating for months, but you play in Canada? And a trip back to Canada as of right now means a two-week quarantine. Do you stay in Sweden where you can skate for the next two weeks and hope that quarantine disappears when it's time to come over? Right. Um, because then you risk coming back and being shut in a hotel room for a couple of weeks while everybody else is skating and you're falling behind and then rushing right into a training camp environment. Like there are some, there are not all the answers here yet, I guess is what I'm saying. And there's but some it is interesting. peculiarities within there. Yeah, it is interesting that uh, that skaters will not have the opportunity to have coaches of any kind on the ice, but goaltenders 
will have uh, an avenue to get specific instruction uh, from a coach, albeit it has to be from outside the organization, an independent coach. I I think that's a a real positive uh, and a real recognition to uh, how important uh, the the instruction is to goaltenders coming off this type of a break and going into the the playoffs and how deeply rooted that relationship is to the position. I mean, if you're a player and you're one of the guys who is ahead of the curve and you've worked with a skills coach in August, typically in years past, you could probably argue it's not fair. But I think the fact that goalies and goalie coaches have been doing this for you know twenty odd years plus, um, it's sort of. It's a little more ingrained into the position that this is part of how they get ready for a season, whereas I would argue the list of players that are doing that type of extra work with a skills coach, while growing significantly in the past couple of years, still pales in comparison on a percentage basis uh, when you compare it to goaltender. So it is a bit of a recognition of that, uh, but it's not a recognition that doesn't have a few monkey wrenches left in there. Probably, probably I would think as well. Uh, isn't that trying to address the concern that some people have that it might take the goaltenders a little bit longer to get up to speed and we're jumping into this really quickly with only what two exhibition games. So maybe, maybe that's a a little bit of a, a nod to that as well. I, uh, I will say this, uh, there's going to be some, uh, some real lobbying on behalf of some goaltenders to their independent goalie coaches, and it'll be interesting to see who gets pulled in which direction, because the goalie coaches won't be able to bounce around to, to different cities uh, on a whim. Well, and let's be honest, guys. Um, we know this. I think the NHL is aware of this. But I don't think Joe Public is quite as aware of just how incestuous the relationships between goalie coaches that work with teams and goalies who might play for another team is. Like there are a lot of guys that spend their summers working with a private goalie coach who happens to coach in the season for another organization. And there are some potential oddities there. Like Mackenzie Black, I'll, I'll pull out some examples. And these are top of the head. These are not specifics, not things I expect to happen, but they just jump to mind. Mackenzie Blackwood works with uh, Colin Zulianello in Thunder Bay. Now, he's not going to have to go back because the Devils are out. But in theory, that's what makes this a good theory. And then he goes for two weeks to work with John Elkin in Toronto. John Elkin works for the Toronto Marlies. So if Mackenzie was going to Toronto to work with a private coach and it was John Elkin... He would also have the ability, if Toronto was his home, to ask to use the Maple Leafs facilities. Same with Carter Hart. Carter Hart's in Sherwood Park right now, which is close to Edmonton. He has the right in phase two to stay in Edmonton and use the Oilers facilities. It's specifically expressed he has that option rather than going back to Philadelphia. Well, what if he happens to exercise that option and he wants to work with, let's say, his goalie coach in the offseason, who happens to be Dustin Schwartz of the Edmonton Oilers? You, in theory, could have a situation where the Philadelphia Flyers goalie is on the Edmonton Oilers ice working with the Edmonton Oilers goalie coach at a time when the Edmonton Oilers goalies are not allowed to work with the Edmonton Oilers goalie coaches. And I don't think any of that will happen, but these are the types of little things that are possible the way most people are interpreting phase two being written up. John Elkin and Mackenzie Blackwood, if they were in Toronto, you'd have Elkin who works for the, for the Marlies on the ice in a Marley's or, or Leafs facility with a New Jer- Jersey Devils goaltender. Like those things are very possible. Um, if you look around the league at some of the different relationships and I, you know, it, it could leave a lot of people scratching their head if they ever came to fruition. Well, you just brought up another point there, Woody, and that's a guy like Mackenzie Blackwood 
who is a young goaltender just sort of hitting his stride in his development. And now he's about to go, what, nine months between games. Um, yeah. You, you talk about the fear of missing out for young goaltenders as we just were um, and feeling you have to check all the boxes in your development. Can you imagine telling somebody at age 12 or 13 you have to go nine months between games? I think their parents would lose it. And now we're telling NHL uh, you know, professionals that they've got to go nine months between games. What's that yeah. going to look like? Well, hey, and, and and the goalies that are in that situation might not want to listen to this interview we've got coming up with Kevin Weeks because if you talk to him, his career was just finding its groove when we headed to the 0405 lockout. He didn't go overseas and play, and he just felt like he never recovered, missing a full year of not being on the ice playing games. Now, that was different because some guys played and some guys didn't. And But that's mostly, not different. That's not yeah, different because some guys are playing and some guys won't. Yeah, and I, but I do think we they are playing. I guess you had the option, the op, the option to play. If uh, yeah, in if, Weeks' if case, Kevin you had the have. option to go. Yeah. Although there were some pressures that he talks about in the interview. I I, I do think you're right, Hutch, because the, the 24 teams that are in, they are going to get to play. But I don't think like the reality is within a couple weeks, um, 16 of them are going to be gone. Right. Like like they're, you know, the teams, eight of those teams are going to be in a similar boat to Mackenzie Blackwood. They'll have a two week camp and then they're going to play a best of five series and then they're gone. So they, too, are, are looking at the potential of six months, um, you know, not as long as Blackwood for sure. And, and not it's not I, I guess at the end of the day, it's not ideal, but it's a really good question. How do these guys not not lose anything uh, being away from game action for so, so long at such a crucial stage of their development? Or any anybody who's at the American League level, the East Coast level. I mean, same thing's happening for them as well. Listen, I'm really worried about Beer League. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. I think your, team, your team's relieved, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think they're hoping that my hips will seize up and I'll never come back. Uh, I just, uh, good on everybody in the competition, uh, return to play committee and uh, the goaltenders uh, working that out in the sense that, that, that they are allowed the window to to have some some goalie specific instruction that's a positive number two uh can i just add float this out you mentioned uh goaltenders teams with uh, multiple like four or five like going down the death chart they'll they'll all be sort of recalled or uh to take part in as uh, to supplement and give the the individual groups how many groups there are uh, a goaltender to shoot at do you think that maybe a team that's out of the playoffs that's not going to be part of uh, is one of the seven teams organizations. Could they be plucked in and used as as a practice goaltender for one of these pods for a team that is going to go in? Like, I don't I, know. Maybe. I, I thought you were going to go down the path of there's a chance for us still, Darren. They teams <laughs> well, that don't maybe, have maybe five deep. They too. need that fi- that fifth small group needs a target. Yeah. I am in. Yeah. Light me up. I guarantee you that fifth group will have the highest level of shooting confidence they've ever had in their life. But seriously, that's because you're, you, you're smaller than a shooter tutor and you move it, even slower. That's, You'll know where you are in the organization if one of us shows up on the ice yeah. with your group. Yes, that's true. No, but but it is that's a good that's a really good question, Darren. I think that if we were looking at that those small groups being for a longer period of time and you really did have shortages that they couldn't fill in terms of not enough goalies to fill out the small groups. That is a heck of a question and a good question. I, well, I think we're think, going to be five or six weeks. Well, and if that's the case, then then that's a fascinating conversation think, because we... Yeah, I think the insurance we, companies would have something to say about that, though. Well, but we see we see guys loan to other AHL teams. And yes, you're right. Contact, track language. 
but it's, it's a hell of an idea because if I'm one of those goalies that's not looking at seeing an NHL shot for all these years and all of a sudden I hear another team's got to, it would be like Jordan Bennington yeah. going to the Boston Bruins American Hockey League affiliate, not going to play any games for the for the big club, but he's on loan for the AHL. How's that any different than being on loan for a small group practice and getting to see shots? Now, you know, bubbles and who's paying for what and who has to stay in what bubble that, I mean, these all enter the conversation, but... It's a hell of an idea. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Give you something to think about uh, during your as you prepare for the in goal in person webinar this weekend. And uh, by the way, when you said Joel went and grabbed uh, his headgear, yeah, you used helmet. Use the term helmet. I thought we clarified this uh, on a Twitter poll. I used them interchangeably. I, like I use mask, but did, wasn't the poll uh, predominantly in favor of using the term mask? Oh, for sure. For sure. That's a more common term, I think. I don't know where helmet came into my language. <laughs> I just likes, like to be difficult. He just likes to swim upstream. <laughs> he'll, he'll, Hutch is going to enjoy the interview with, with, with Weeksy because we talk about Arthur Zerbe's uh, headgear as well. <laughs> oh, beautiful. That, that I don't know whether I'm more of a fan of the the helmet or the cage in the, in that regard. It was it was spectacular. So let's get into it. Uh Kevin Weeks, uh, a a great junior career, uh burst on the National Hockey League scene and uh, has uh, carried over uh that opportunity into uh, establishing himself as uh, one of the top uh, broadcasters uh, in the sport. Uh, this is uh this is one of the rare ones. We, this interview was just completed and uh I haven't had a chance to listen to it. So I'm going to uh, listen along with everybody else as Woody catches up with Weeksy on In Goal Radio, the podcast. All right, Kevin, we got to start with the news of the day, I guess week now. How exciting is this to have the announcement that we're looking and I know there are still I's to be dotted, T's to be crossed and a lot of virus issues that could, could affect it. But just to sort of be ramping up for the return of hockey, I know you've been, you know, on calls with media internationally since this happened. What's where's the excitement level after sort of having to sit around for so long waiting for this next next step? Yeah, uh, I'm pumped. I'm super pumped, man. Uh, we had the, uh, you know, we were live in the studio here in the NHL network here in Jersey, just outside New York. And we carried commissioner's press conference. And then we, uh, we had commissioner on as a guest after. And, you know, I've been in touch with him and deputy commis- commissioner Bill Daly and some of the, a lot of the players, I should say, coaches, team owners, you name it, agents, a lot of different stakeholders around the game. So, and that was prior to, prior to the announcement, post announcement, everybody's pumped up. Guys are excited. And some guys have some concerns, uh, you know, health wise in, Certain instances, for example, if you have parents that are seniors or that may be health compromised or maybe a young one that may be health compromised or a little more susceptible to uh, some infectious diseases. But hockey players are hockey players. You know, we have a lot of the best athletes in the world in our league. And for the most part, everybody I talk to is a little bit excited now. And they know that at least there's a framework. And even for the teams that were out of it, they know that they're out of it. They can get on with their extended offseason training, which may give them an advantage going into next season. But for the players now, this expanded playoff round, uh, this is awesome. Guys are pumped. It's going to be a, great for the fans, great for the players, and it will uh, engage even more fans because more teams will be participating. Peak interest, and for the players, it's expanded in terms of their opportunity on, on m- multiple teams now, eight more teams, at least from the outset, 
that have a chance to complete for the, compete rather for the Stanley Cup. Okay, now speaking of engaging fans, that's something that you've done a great job of uh, during this uh, pause. Uh, well, Thank we you. haven't had hockey. You Instagram Live, though, we've been following it. I mean, you've had a myriad of guests, a lot of big names in the goalie world among them. We've tried to follow along wherever schedule allows and really enjoyed that. Um, what's What's your biggest takeaway talking to, especially if, you know, from the goalie side, it's all goalie geeks listening in right now. What's your biggest takeaway? Like anybody jumped out at you either as a storyteller or things you learned about them that you didn't know among that, that goalie crowd or, or trends in the game from a goalie perspective uh, in terms of what guys are doing during this time to try and stay sharp that, that jumped out at you. Thank you. Like you guys, I know, I know you guys are in touch with a lot of the tenders as well. And what's been interesting, whether I've spoken to, Jordan Bennington, whether it's been Sudhi Maharaj, Anaheim's goalie coach. I mean, I can go down the list of players that I've had or different goalies that I've had that I've spoken to both on my Instagram live at Kev Weeks or even in general, just in our private conversations. But the main thing that comes to mind is just feel repetitions and, uh, and kind of touch. And what's kind of unique for goalies, you know, it's like golfing. It's a real feel intuitive position. And what'll be interesting is some of the guys that I've spoken to, the majority of them that I've spoken to haven't been able to skate, actually. And then some that I've spoken to privately have been able to skate over in Europe, which will be interesting. I mean, you take a team like the Rangers, for example, Lundqvist, Georgiev, and Shesterkin are skating. And I know Hanky posted that, as in Lundqvist posted that on his uh, Instagram and Twitter, that he was skating back in Sweden. So the guys that are in positions or in places where they have the ability to skate, that makes a huge difference. Craig Anderson has been, uh, I had him on early and Craig Anderson at that point had not been skating. And now the Ottawa senators by you know, the way things have kind of been governed here, the senators are out of it anyways. They, and I say that because they didn't qualify for the playoffs. So what ends up happening for a guy like Craig Anderson who's had such a long and successful career? Does he come back and play next year? Time will tell. Or then you have a young upstart. Like you guys just, just did a great piece on, and the great stud from out, uh, out west in Alberta and Carter Hart for the Philadelphia Flyers down the turnpike from us here in Jersey, who, you know, he, he talked about it. And I had him on really from the outset of this pause. And he talked about being back home in Alberta and working with his trainer that he works with in the offseason. Uh, I've been in touch with Brian Elliott. So I think the biggest thing from a lot of those guys now is the guys that haven't had the ability to skate, the goalies that haven't had the ability to skate and trying to find ways to mimic their training. You know, Bobrovsky, as you, you had mentioned and messaged to me the other day, Bobrovsky has a tennis ball machine. We have the same agent in Paul Theofanis. Um, he has a tennis ball machine. He's used that. My agent also has Varlamov, for example, who's had the opportunity to get onto the ice. But it's been really interesting all over the map. But the main thing that I keep hearing guys come back to is their feel, their timing, and uh, – and the goalie conditioning. There's very few things that can simulate goaltending. But here's one innovation that I'll throw at you and for the listeners and you great NHL fans out there and you great goalie, fellow goalie aficionados, is that youngster, the WHL goalie of the year, Dustin Wolf, who's a Flames, Calgary Flames prospect, who is, as mentioned, WHL goalie of the year with Everett. I've seen some of his posts and he's got that slide board and he's been incorporating some drills with his slide board, with his glove and blocker on that simulate some of his butterfly slides and some of his on his down movements, as we say, uh, in and around the net, in and around the crease and still able to have somebody tossing tennis balls at him or lacrosse balls. So that's looked really interesting to me. 
Yeah, no, now that's uh, the, that is the Ultra Slide Octagon Slide Board. Little free plug for them right here. We've right. had a lot of questions about what he was using. Uh, that, is, uh, that is not a cheap alternative. Uh, we talked to uh, Dustin and he was fortunate enough that a nearby, he actually got the recommendation from uh, Jordan Sigalet and was lucky enough right. that a nearby gym had one, so he was able to borrow it. Um, if you want to buy one, you're looking at 2K. So not a cheap option. We will, however, plug a cheap option he was using. Those balls you're talking about that he was having shot at him, uh-huh. those were from those were from the Lightning Bolt Skills Machine, which is something that we discovered through Jake Allen telling us about it. And then mm-hmm. uh, Alfie Michaud and Jeremy Swayman talked about it. And there's a little $80 ball, like Canadian ball shooting, which that's like, what, five bucks US? A little ball right. shooting machine. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. We've, we've had a lot of goalies sort of, you know, goalies are finding new ways. And is it perfect? Is it an NHL shot? No. Um, but is it a sort of portable, reasonably priced alternative to let you work the hands? Yeah. So it's, it has been fascinating to watch that, eh, Kevin? How, how guys have found ways that, you know, maybe, again, not perfect, not ideal, but this isn't an ideal situation. So what can we do to get better? Whether it's uh, Wolf with the slide board and the ball machine or Carter Hart. Uh, a guy who has regularly looked for sort of mental, you know, and hand-eye coordination and and those types of things to get better. There there really seems to be a no stone unturned mantra among a lot of the younger goalies during this. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering who you think has the advantage coming back. Those guys who have been trying to find everything to sort of do what they can do or some mm-hmm. of the older guys who, you know, they're they're this is like a regular offseason to them and they they can go away. A Carey Price, a Braden Holtby we had on, can go away and take time off and come back and feel like, hey, I do this is how I do my summer all the time. I'm going to be just fine. Like, where does the, the confidence value of knowing that this almost feels like a, a summer for them and they can walk away from the game and not have, have to chase every little edge? I think because those guys have had such a huge body of work in terms of games played, and then also international responsibilities for Team Canada at different levels. Uh, a lot of their seasons have been really compressed over the years, plus playoff runs, especially for Brayden Holpe, and then winning the Stanley Cup. Multiple playoff rounds for Carey Price and Team Canada commitments as well. The World Cup of Hockey, which I worked for ESPN, uh, doing color for both of those guys, got them to see, got to see them up close. All-star game commitments as well that I worked, got to see them up close. So all that to say, it's been a heavy workload for those guys over the years. Now, the good part about that is the fact that they they do have that feel because of those repetitions that they've had over the years. They do have that intuitive feel, and they have that also combine that with experience. So those, those guys don't have to be high rep guys per se to be able to rediscover their game or fine-tune their game or get it back to where they want it to be in that instance. However, I will tell you this, for the young guys that are out there, and for anybody, but especially for the young guys that are out there, they don't have as many reps in the bank. So I love seeing what Dustin Wolf is doing. I love my different conversations. I was in touch with Carter Hart last night. I love my different conversations with a young guy like Carter Hart or what Georgiev is doing and maybe Shosturkin is doing. Uh, Some of those younger guys, because they don't have the volume of games, the volume of practices, the volume of exposure and experience when you put that all together, it makes sense that a lot of those guys are continuing to uh, push. But here's one thing I'll tell you, Kev, and for the listeners that's interesting, is you know I came off my platform year in Carolina, which was my personal best season in the league. I played 66 games. I think I had six shutouts. 
um, and a 9-12, and we finished way out of the playoffs. So for me, that was my platform year, which then, and that was 03-04, which then led to the work stoppage in 04-05. And I was skating with Sudsy that offseason going into what we thought was going to be the season. Then the lo- a lockout happened, the work stoppage happened. From that point, Sudsy and I were skating two days a week, three days a week in Toronto at the time. And then when the season can- was canceled, I stopped skating whatever that would have been, February or March, and then resume skating, call it late June or July with him. But in getting back, for me, my game was never able to, I was never able to reestablish my game at that level. It wasn't the same. And we had this rock star by the name of Henrik Lundqvist, who was coming in, who was then 22 years old or 23, coming out of Sweden. And I remember hearing from Mike Johnson, who, uh, who we work with at the NHL Network. He also does TSM back home in Canada. And I remember, uh, Johnny's saying, we see, this guy's really, like, he's really, really good. Like, he played against Jose Theodore in Sweden. He beat Jose. For London won the Swedish Elite League. This guy's, like, really, really good. And when we got to training camp in New York, after, like, the second or third day, I remember calling home. I'll never forget. I was driving down the West Side Highway, going to my condo in New York at the time. And I called home, and I was talking to my dad. I'm like, this guy's incredible. Like, they say this guy's going to back up. There's no way. It's not going to be. Not, not, not even going to be close. And I was the quote-unquote number one guy to start the season. Played fairly well, decently well. And Hank ended up coming in. The rest is history. And New York has arguably their best goalie that they've ever seen and a future Hall of Famer. Uh, So all that to say, that's kind of how that impacted me. So it impacts guys in different ways. At that time, I want to say I was 28, 27, 28 uh, at that time. But nonetheless, it, it had a big impact on me. So I'm curious to see uh, how this impacts the guys. I think the younger guys, as Henrik, Henrik was a younger guy at that point, I think that they have an advantage. But for the older guys that are superstars, like Carey and, and like Holt, Holt Beast, I think those guys will be fine. Do you, like, do you have any, like, do you wish you'd gone and played? Great question. That, and you, that, I don't know if that you remember, season, Kev, the, the work yeah, stoppage? Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but so many of us were afraid to go and play. Right. Because we didn't know what the repercussions were going to be. You know, we didn't want to get de facto blackballed, right? And, you know, it's, and not only, not necessarily from our players' union ranks, but moreover from, you know, league, league officials, uh, team general managers, team coaches, like, oh, these guys are going over to Europe. What, what do these guys think? Like that kind of thing. So if you're a superstar like Jumbo Joe Horton or Jose, you know, Jose was just off of being league MVP in 02. When uh, we played against him in the playoffs that year, 2002, he, you know, he was only two years, a year removed from being the league MVP. So for some of those guys that went over and played, especially star and or superstar status, you know that they wouldn't have been impacted. But for, uh, for the rest of us rank and file players and, you know, the majority of the NHLPA membership, a lot of us were apprehensive about going over, not because we didn't want the experience, not because we didn't want the games, even Brad Richards and Vinny LeCavier that I played with in Tampa, I mean, those guys were superstars. So they went and, you know, they played in Akbars and uh, Freddie Brathwaite was over in Akbars, if you remember. But it was an interesting time. A lot of us had a lot of trepidation about going over. Even once the season was canceled, we still had trepidation about going over because we didn't know what any potential repercussions could have been. Yeah, I, I, you know what, to be honest, I kind of forgot about that aspect of it. Now, I wanted to get to Lundquist later on. But you, mm. you kind of you kind of opened the door there. To yeah. me, one of one of the most fascinating parts of how quickly he jumped on the scene was that 
he didn't necessarily play in the NHL the way he did during that great performance he had over in the Swedish, at the time, what was called the Swedish Elite League, now the SHL, Mm -hmm. um, with Frölunda. I remember talking to him in those early days about how he was, he said he was an outside-in goaltender, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, take take your ice early and retreat. And obviously under Ben Ben Yalair's tutelage, that's not the guy we've we've gotten to know in the National Hockey League. The guy who's dominated the National Hockey League since arriving. Sure. What jumped out at you the most then? Was it was it just the raw skill, or did you watch that evolution firsthand? Did you have a front seat evolution or a front row seat for you know Henrik Lundqvist transforming to a style under Benoit Lair that has allowed him to have this success and, and so quickly? It was it was remarkable to me that he made that change that quickly it was a lightning bolt and he made that change which which speaks to his aptitude his confidence and his skills his skills themselves and uh his aptitude his mental aptitude and i say that his hockey iq his hockey sense you know you put those things together man because benny was trying to impress that upon him and in terms of being a little bit more patient as benny says being more of uh an inside out guy or a mid a mid guy, mid inside guy, as opposed to being an outside in guy. And I love the outside in because I love the flow. In fact, Ryan Miller of the Ducks, great goalie that he is. Uh, Millsy, I had him on the show the other day, and him and I talked about that very thing and that outside in and playing with flow. And Jose Theodore, especially at his height, did that flawlessly. He was a great goalie in his own right too. He did that flawlessly, both him and Ryan Miller. And I felt myself like I was more in the flow of the game when I played that way from outside in. You know, I can meet the play, I can read the play, and then flow with the play as opposed to being stagnant and then going from A to B or being stag- a little bit more patient and stagnant and pushing out if there is an opportunity versus not being a little more conservative overall. So Hank, literally, Kev, when you asked that question, he assimilated that into his game seamlessly. And again, that shows that he was open-minded. It shows the trust that he had in Benny, of course. Uh, Benny and Francois, both, I think both of them should be Hall of Famers. Ben Waller and Francois Waller are the two brothers and goalie legends in our community. But in saying that, Henrik, right from the outset, he started doing it. Like, it wasn't even a question. I didn't even know he played differently. That's how good and how seamless that transition was for him, uh, as you outlined. And what made him so unique? Gosh, how much time do we have? The, <laughs> we got, it's, the, it's how much time you have. We got yeah, lots. It's... <laughs> His, uh, his competitiveness, the way he competed on pucks, his willingness to practice breakaways. No, the only goalie I know that loved practicing breakaways was the great Dominic Hasek. I mean, I, I didn't, I'd never played with a guy that loved practicing. But Archer Zerbe to some extent, too. Archie loved them. But for the most part, guys didn't want to practice breakaways. I was fine in doing them. I was cool doing them. But I didn't practice them all the time. Henrik wanted them all the time. Let's go, let's go, let's go, line him up, line him up, let's go, line him up, let's go, line him up, let's go. And it's like he was a gunslinger in the wild, wild west. He's like, let's go. Pull out my two pistols, and I'm going. Let's roll. And, I mean, the level of conviction that he had and belief in his game, belief in his skills, the competitiveness that I just talked about, highlighted by the um, wanting to do breakaways, not shying away from that, big enough to handle New York, Big enough, wide enough shoulders to handle New York. Not odd by Madison Square Garden in the world's most famous arena. Uh, you know, and it wasn't, everything wasn't perfect. You know, there were some things and he had to learn some things as we all do as we go along the way. 
and become a little bit more patient with some of his teammates and stuff, which uh, he'll tell you that I helped him with. But that to say, this guy was a superstar right out, right out of the gate. And if I'm going to really geek out goalie-wise, I've never seen anybody stand in their skates like him before him. And what I mean by that is he had a wide stance with a wide butterfly. And if you were looking in behind him, his skates, he wasn't like traditional in being in terms of being on an inside edge, say like Ed Belfour and the way we conventionally kind of learned here in North America. His ankles, instead of his skate, his inside edge being more the point of contact when he was in his stance, his ankles were actually rotated outside. So if you can imagine having your two hands in front of you, like you're going to karate chop and you have them straight in front of you, rotate your right hand to your right side rotate your left hand to your left side and that's how his ankles were i'd never seen anything like that before and yet so he was still able to get great pushes because conventionally it'd be more of an inside edge or inside the toe as opposed to your ankles rotated outward and and be able to push and move both on your feet and more importantly down on your knees his down game so well that's that's probably interesting I was going to say, it's probably what enabled him to maintain that power and those pushes from such a low wide stance. And obviously he narrowed it over the years and has talked right. about that getting a little more upright. Mm-hmm. But that was in an era where skates still had cowlings, right? Like you couldn't yeah, exactly. get that, that, that attack angle that they can these days. And yet he was still able to play low and wide and have that generate that power from it. It's, it's remarkable. Totally. Hey, listen, the passion comes through in everything you do. The passion for the position. Uh, after Lundquist, you played behind Brodeur, and I wanted to go there. But I wanted to ask you, whether it's the Instagram lives, when you're on the air, um, doing the demonstrations at NHL Network. I love that, by the way. Thank the you. passion always comes through. But I want to know where it started, Weeksy. Where did, where, did, where did you fall in love? Mm. Was it the game first or the position first? And, and what drew you to goaltending? You know what? I'll say this, and I had this conversation with the great Donovan Bailey that a lot of you would know. Um, three-time world champion, two-time Olympic gold in Atlanta 96, and the fast, one-time fastest man on the planet, second fastest man that ever lived, next to Usain Bolt, as he says. Um, here's my thing. I was very fortunate, as Donovan kind of echoed the same thing. I'm fortunate to have great parents, and I come from a great home, and, you know, a very close sister. And, uh, you know, my parents... And extended family members, some of my aunts and my uncles, some of my cousins, when they immigrated to Canada, I got to know what work ethic was. And I learned that from my mom and dad, because both my parents worked. And they both worked full time. And my mom worked at Blue Cross for 35 years. My dad worked at Lord Secord, as you know, back home, which has ended up uh, being purchased by Nestle. And he worked at the plant for 32 or whatever years it was. So every day I'd get up and see my parents work. No excuses. They go to work. They did everything they could for us. They moved to a new country in, in Canada at the time um, and just wanted to, to make things great. And they left a great island in Barbados and a great country in its own right, but they wanted to live the North American dream. And they always instilled in us work, work, work. It's about work ethic, work ethic, work ethic, hard work. And a lot of people don't know this about me, but my dad worked on Applewith Plantation back in Barbados. And he was the overseer of a plantation. And it was weird that plantation also had a record factory in the back of it. That's where my dad developed his love of music, but he was the overseer on a plantation, ironically on his own Island. So if that doesn't really help shape somebody working on a plantation on his own Island, and he didn't want to come because my mom came to Canada before him 
And then she went back, they got married and they came back together, but he didn't want to come to Canada. He didn't really want to, you know, emigrate, so to speak. So seeing their work ethic, that really shaped me. And I started watching my older cousin and the guys in the neighborhood. I'm born in 75. My older cousin's 68. He's born in, and some guys, you know, were born in like 65. So they would have been 10 years older than me. And I started hanging around these guys behind uh, our old building when we lived downtown in Toronto. And I was the ball chaser when they were playing street hockey. That's it. I was four or five years old. I was a ball chaser. That's it. You want to hang out, chase the ball. Okay. The ball goes in the bushes, go get the ball, that type thing. And from there, and I know you guys have a lot of these in Vancouver, you know, the laneways that are in van, right? So a lot of the yep. laneways in the neighborhoods. So we had a lot of those laneways and one was literally right behind our building. And there was a perpendicular street that we played in or we played in the laneway. So I would watch them play. And the one goalie that was always in the net constantly, his name was Lambros. That was his last name. And they called him Lambros and called him by his last name. And his family moved to Canada from Greece. And then they moved back to Greece from Canada. And when he left, because they always had one rotating goalie, but Lambros was like the stalwart guy. And when he left, you're like, yo, if you want to hang, you've got to go in the net. And that's exactly where I wanted to be. Because anytime watching Hockey Net in Canada and, you know, growing up and whether it was Bunny LaRock, whoever it was that had cool Michael Ute's mask, you know, some of the iconic masks, Murray Bannerman in Chicago, then Panger, who ironically I work with now, some on the NHL network, you're starting to see some, those goalies had those iconic masks, the Eagle Eddie Bell for. And from that point, I'm like, that's where I'm going. So quickly, Kev, I started playing street hockey with them. There was a park down the street from our house called Hillcrest Park. And it would have been the winter of 80, winter of 80. Yeah, 1980 winter. And in the park, they would kind of make a rink in the park. Either there or Christie Pitts Park, a little further south, that had a rink, an outdoor rink. And I'd go on the, I'd go on the rink with my Cougar winter boots. I don't know if you remember Cougar boots. And for those of you that are old enough, I had Cougar winter boots and I'd go on the ice with those. And then uh, I signed up to play and register at the iconic St. Mike's Arena back home, historic St. Mike's Arena. My cousin signed up to play house league. I signed up to play house league and my parents registration was $65 at the time. And my parents and my dad specifically took me to Canadian tire down at young and Davenport and got my first pair of skates and my first goalie glove, which was a Cooper goalie glove. Ironically, Cooper was made. They had a plant, a factory at Barbados. So my dad was like, okay, this is meant to be. And away from there. So the one thing I'll say, that's kind of my start in the game. And I played house league for two years and then played up with Mike Pekka and, you know, a lot of my, fr- my friends and many of them that like Pekka that went on to play in the NHL. I played up, you know, as an eight-year-old with the Toronto Red Wings. I played AAA and the rest is kind of history. But the one thing I would say, you talk about the passion, that's where it starts for me and kind of a family thing. And then also my parents never had to tell me to want to go. Like I would be ready. Dad, let's go to power skating. Let's go to power skating. Okay, let's go to the ring. Let's go to just hockey source of sports. And I want to try on every glove. I want to see Kirk McLean's glove. I want to see what, what uh, Louisville and people don't know. My actual pattern was based on Kirk McLean's Louisville pattern that he had with the Canucks. And I don't even think K Mac knows that himself. And we ended up playing together for a little bit in Florida, but I grew up, He's one of those guys I idolized when he was with the Canucks. So to say all that, my parents never had to wind my watch. They never had to push me that way. I was just wired that way. I've always been that way. And I think, you know, sometimes you go through adversity in the game and you have hard times. You get traded. You have different things happen. 
but all things being equal, you know, people can see, they get a sense of who you are the longer you've been around the league and the longer you earn your right to be around the game. And like you guys have done, you know, you guys have gone from an industry leading publication to pivoting numerous times. And now you're doing content in a different way. And people see that you always find a way to get it done. And you guys always find a way to deliver a quality product. So that's become synonymous with you guys. And I think that passion and work ethic for me now in my second career of broadcasting, which I treat the same way I did playing. So um, I really think that that's essential for anybody, just as it is for you guys. You have the same thing. And I think if you look at anybody that's successful, um, they have that drive and you don't have to necessarily widen their watch, so to speak. I love it. And that's also, we're also bound quite often by sort of shared passions, right? Like from PB totally. to pro, there are certain things that, that connect goaltenders. Not always the same. For some, it's the technical. For some, it's sure. being the last line of defense and embracing that. For some, it's the gear and the style, which you always had. Uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, in addition to the sort of gear style and the evolution of that, you also grew up in an era, you said, Kirk McLean. Um you know, not not the style of goaltending that we see today. A lot more right. sort of stand up and patience, and right back to kick saves. But you came in as a through junior and pro as that was all evolving. Who were some of the big influences that you had early on? Obviously, I know about Benoit Lair with the Rangers and some of the influences later on. But what about growing up, like as a guy who was a big fan of that old school style, mm. and the game started to transition more to. Not so much butterfly as a style, but you know more a save selection, and then what I think of as you know butterfly movement mechanics, the ability to sort of have a down game. Like where mm. were you in that transition, and who were some of the big influences? I know about Sudzi as well, but who are some of the other guys, especially early? Yeah, great question. Um, so here's here's what's crazy. So I just talked about growing up and you know going to Jeff's Hockey Sorts of Sports, which is still there in Toronto now, is the best hockey shop on the planet for years one of the top stores and I would go in there and uh and literally try as I told you try on every glove and I would smell the leather like I that's why I use that term I would smell the leather I would feel Cooper GM 21 through the years right and then you start going up and DNR okay then John Brown then uh so-and-so uses John Brown okay uh now Vaughn's on the scene oh my gosh these Vaughn's are sweet okay Heaton's on the scene oh my gosh his 1850 feels amazing in my hand uh, you know, that type thing, sticks, pads, though the gear did draw me just to kind of expand upon that. But as far as goalies specifically, I love watching Billy Ranford, who you guys just had on. There's so many times we'd be playing or we'd be practicing and I'd be like, Ranford, what's the same Bill Ranford? You know, that type thing. Well, what a club save by Fuhrer. What a club. Like, you know, we would, and I would be saying this in practice and or street hockey or mini sticks or whatever it is. And it was interesting because it's like I was affirming this aloud, you know, and then, of course, the great Patrick Watt. Those guys are greats in their own right, of course, um, and a Hall of Famer in Jersey. And then Ed Belfour came along who had kind of a lower stance at that time, if you remember, when he first came in. And, I mean, butterfly persona and personified, I should say. Then it started to evolve. I love Mike Richter because – it looked like he was jack in the box. He was so hyper explosive. He was so fun to watch. Marty came on the scene and he became a stud right away, although he was there with, with Chris Terry with T Bone. He was fun to watch. Kirk was like elegant. Like to me, Kirk, and for you Canuck fans, when I watched Kirk play and when I played with Kirk, which is wild, 
because Kirk McLean's mom, what you don't know, is we went on a field trip when I was 13 to Consumers Gas. And I swear to God, we went on, it was a field trip. We went to Consumers Gas to their, um, to their corporate, corporate offices back in Toronto on Pharmacy and Highway 401. And, sorry, Victoria Park in 401. And I remember being in there and I saw this lady that had this Kirk McLean kind of collage on her desk. And K-Mac doesn't even know the story. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Kirk McLean. Oh my God. And the lady looked over her shoulder and she's like, yeah, that's my son. And I'm like, oh my, Kirk McLean's your son? <laughs> Kirk McLean is your son? She's like, yeah. And she had some hockey cards and she gave me one of his hockey cards. And I'll never forget that day. And the point is in watching him play as well, he was so elegant. And I know you guys are close with Pricey. He was pricey before pricey in terms of his movement. You know what I mean? Push, stop, smooth, stop, elegant, like just very elegant in his game, although it was a stand-up style versus a butterfly style. Um, but those are some of the guys. Freddie Brathwaite, you know, he's from Barbados too. His parents are like mine and, uh, and had the chance to, to get to know him when I was younger. And we, went to the, we would go to Oshawa when him and Lindros were playing together because it was 15 minutes east of my parents' house and had the chance to go to Memorial Cup 1990. One of the best World Cup games in history, Oshawa against Kitchener. And Mike Torkey, who was a net for Kitchener, grew up in our old neighborhood, so I knew him. And then uh, Freddie, I hadn't had a chance to meet quite yet, but Freddie ended up coming in halfway through that game, and they won the Mem Cup. So uh, in Hamilton at Cops Coliseum. So all of those guys in different ways, Kev, all those guys in different ways touched me and, and just watching them. But from a butterfly standpoint, specifically, it would have been uh, Patrick Watt at Belfort at the time. And I'm going to tell another quick story since we're story timing and hot stoving. We, when, I was playing with, when I was playing with the Islanders, we had this young goalie called Roberto Luongo. And I told Heard Lou this at his, yeah, right? I told Lou this at his Jersey retirement night. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of his invitees. And we were talking about this in, uh, with his brother, Leo. But we were playing with the Islanders. This guy was 19, maybe, maybe 20, because he's four years younger than me. And I got to tell you, man, I'm watching this guy in practice. Glove save, smooth, recovery, smooth, glove save, smooth. I'm like, this guy's 20? <laughs> like, I, my last year junior, I finished up at 19 turning 20. And this guy's making it look so effortless at the NHL level. And I'll tell you what. At that point, of course, I was older than him and had some more experience. And, you know, I ended up staying and, and playing the rest of the year with the Islanders. But when I saw how he was playing and how he was moving, I was like, wow. Because he already had that butterfly stuff in his blood from Quebec, as you know. Yeah. And from there, my goalie partner, I had Wade Flaherty, current goalie coach of, uh, Winnipeg. of the Winnipeg Jets, who's done an outstanding job with Hellebuck and Lauren Brossois. You know, Hellebuck, I think, is going to win the Vesna this year. And then I also had... Uh, Steve Balaket and Valley was working with Sudsy. So he introduced me to Sudsy and I started skating with Sudsy on my own dime in the summer and Sudsy taking his time and was so gracious with it. And that's how I learned the butterfly style. I was 24 years in the NHL and I had to go back to school all over again and, and learn something that I'd never learned before to become the yeah. basis of my game going forward. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where I wondered, cause you were kind of in that transition where, you know, I remember even Oh three Oh four, when I started getting introduced to, to goaltending from the writing side of things, you know, there were mm -hmm. a lot of guys that, you know, great goaltenders in the league that didn't 
you know, didn't have proper leg recovery out of the butterfly because that wasn't a concept they grew up with. And when I looked at the timeline, I'm like, yeah, these are things that you would have had to to learn halfway through up till that point, up till Sudsy. Was it more, you know, how much were there goalie coaches that played a role? Was it more sort of passing on experience and been there, done that advice or mm, details in the game? Or was it a lot of just imitation and, and watching other goalies and picking little parts that worked for you? A combo of all of the above. A combo of all of the above. It really, uh, it it really was just kind of a mixture. It was kind of a buffet of all of that. You know, I had different people. Um, my original minor hockey coach, the late Keith Armstrong, who was a Manitoban from Winnipeg, hardcore, old school, but he was our minor hockey coach. You know, my first five, six years in Toronto, and his attention to detail. Everything was detailed. We had our own stick bags. We had numbers on our helmets. We had guys had to have haircuts. We would wear dress shirt and tie, uh, white shirt, gray slacks, dress shoes. And, you know, sometimes we would wear track pants. Those are the kind of things where those are like lasting impressions on you as well. Uh, Billy Smith, the great Billy Smith, was my original goalie coach of the Florida Panthers when I was drafted. And not as much technique, but more mentality from him. If you know battling Billy Smith, and if not, go watch some of his YouTube clips and you'll get an understanding. And some of the things he used to say to me, you know, when they drafted me and I was playing in Sound with Jamie Storr, who my good friend to this day. And uh, we were one of the rare junior duos that went on to play in the NHL as duos and then play together in the NHL too in, in Carolina for, uh, for a year, which was wild. But uh, yeah, those things were kind of impactful. Those are some of the impactful people. And as you pointed out, watching, just learning and being a hyper student of the game. Like, oh my gosh, what's Hashik doing now? Oh my gosh, well, he's coming out and cutting off guys. Billy Smith was teaching me that when I was playing junior at Owen Sound. And then in Ottawa, he was teaching me that my last year junior. You know, those types of things. Okay, uh, now the pads, as you know, uh, we, make, we would make our pads tighter down on the bottom of the toe over the toe cap of the skate and look cool instead of having them look wide. And then some manufacturers, had actual covers that went over the toe, the toe cap. Then, okay, no more toe straps. Guys are using skate lace. Okay, no, so all the different evolutions uh, in the game, a lot of it was see and learn and be a student, which I'm uh, big on, and, and be open to learning and being open to just getting better and you know, being a voracious kind of reader and what's these, what, you know, what are these guys doing? And old Goalies World magazine, as you remember. What's this guy yep. doing? What's that guy doing? And then you guys came along and I didn't know that about Jose and watching, you know, warmups in games I wasn't playing, watching pregame skates, seeing what other guys were doing, exchanging information, finding out all this that was coming out of Quebec, which is a goalie laboratory, as you know, uh, courtesy of the Allaire brothers and the great Patrick Waugh and all the other greats, Marty and Bobby Lou Luongo and everybody, Jose and Patty Lalim and Eric Bichot and everybody that came out of there. So, it was kind of a, an entre, you know, a buffet, excuse me, of all those different things that went into it and just increased my learning. And I continue doing that to this day because the evolution, as you pointed out, Kev, the evolution of our position, I would dare say this. There isn't a position in all of pro sports, not even NFL quarterbacks, that has undergone as much evolution as being an NHL goalie. No, it's a, that's... I, hard to argue. I actually had a journalist reach out recently asking me the same question. And I like my 
response was, I can't really speak for the other sports because I don't study them as in-depthly, but it really is. I'm with you. It's hard to envision anything that's changed, especially, and we're seeing it now, right? Early on during this pause, they played a lot of those old games and you watched the goalies and there was a lot of sort of chatter about the way they played. And, you know, it's, it's it's like a different, it's like a different sport within the sport playing goaltending now. And even sure. more so than it was back then. And a lot of that, like you said, it's it's equipment related too, right? Like the fear factor has disappeared. So you don't need to catch it in the pocket of your glove because it doesn't oh. it's not gonna kill you if it hits in the chest like it might have back then. Kev, listen, that's so that's so well said. I had the chance to sit down um prior to his passing, of course, with the late great Johnny Bauer when I first started doing TV at the Hockey Hall of Fame. And we're doing a piece uh, with the NHL Network for the league that was going to live on with the NHL archives and NHL production studios. I can't tell you what an honor that was to sit down and talk to him. And for anybody that knew the great late Johnny Bauer, he was such a great gentleman, pleasant. And, uh, you know, I remember even going to his goalie camp, you know, as a youngster and learning the poke check and all these different things. And it's so interesting that day specifically being in the Hockey Hall of Fame interviewing and the legend of the game who had come so far before us as a forefather of the position and just listening to his stories about exactly what you just talked about. And then even my own journey as somebody that's born in 75, I said, started playing, you know, on the ice organized in house league in 80, 1980 or whatever it was. And just seeing the evolution of gear from then till now. Like I remember the, the first Vaughn, you know, I remember the Vaughn T750 glove, then the Vaughn T1000 glove. As I mentioned, the Cooper GM21, the Donnie Edwards glove that didn't even have a pocket, you know, uh, GM12, the Cooper GM12 glove, the DNR stuff, and just seeing Aeroflex, Reggie Lemelin. Like, I'm a gear nut if you couldn't tell. <laughs> you know, just a little uh, bit. Hey, those Aeroflex were ahead of their time, no? They were ahead of their time, totally. And that, and then Pete Smith, you know, ends up going to, to Vaughn and designing the Velocity. And I, I told you this before, Kev, I was the first NHL goalie to wear the Velocity. And the concept of a landing gear and, and something for your Correct. knee to actually land on and, and how that totally. facilitated butterfly movement. They went hand in hand. Yeah. It went hand in hand. And, you know, the, the, the flat face, if you will, flat front, flat face, uh, and then a, a more of a structured pad, so to speak, right? More of a, a one-piece kind of structured pad for the most part. And even if you look at those velocities that I wore in Tampa in, I don't know, 2000, 2001, they're very different than the V9s that they just <laughs> that they just uh, debuted most recently. So it's so interesting to see those evolutions. And for me, literally, I could feel them. I could feel them. Like I can close my eyes and feel the difference from glove to glove, year to year, pads to pads, chest and arm. You know, once John Brown came out with a one piece chest and arm, it just you know everything took off. But I remember before that, I used to wear a two piece. And I remember the one year my parents bought me the DNR one piece and I was like oh man I was getting stingers off my sh- collarbones I was a little dental floss skinny kid I was getting hammered off my collarbones and finally then they got me the Vaughn which was based off the original John Brown uh one piece model but I wore a two-piece model my first three four years playing AAA and I mean like catcher like baseball catcher old school Ernie Witt baseball catcher belly pad and then the Cooper shoulder pad I wore a two-piece when I first started. So as a kid, that is. But, you know, just through the different evolutions, our gear, it's been really crazy. And I love that you pointed out. They go hand-in-hand with the way in which the game is played. And that's something that a lot of people, and why I've always been a big advocate for goalies, 
and I will always, uh, in my TV role, on and off camera, whether I'm talking to owners, GMs, doesn't matter. Uh, I do my best to protect the goalies because a lot of people weigh in on goalie gear, on sizing, on fit, on contour, and a lot of people weigh in way too heavily. And I always say this, hey, we could get you some size-appropriate gear. And I could talk to, you know, Sycamore's BC, Shea Weber, and, hey, Shay, you know what? I can give you five grand to come here and shoot some pucks on this person. Let them let see what it's like to take some heaters, some clappers off the collarbone and off the inside of the kneecap and off the fingers and throat. Then they may have a different opinion uh, in terms of weighing in where they don't necessarily have expertise on goalie gear, but at least finally that's all gone quiet for now. So that's I was just going to say, we got to give stick taps to Kay Whitmore because I think he's done a really Which good is, job of, he totally you know, of sort of yeah, managing a lot of people, pulling him in the direction you just talked about, people who, right. who just want it smaller, 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 but having that understanding himself. And I think he's done a really good job of balancing it. And I, and I think, you know, when you and I watch a game, there are a lot of pucks that do go in now that, sure. you know, sometimes it's under a pad or whatever, and they people may not understand that, you know, the the pillow underneath the calf was the reason that one slipped through and and little changes that he's made over the year that have made a real difference while still keeping guys safe. So props 100%. to Witt. Um, Absolutely. Hey, Shout out to Witt. One, one evolution that I was disappointed in uh, over the course of your career was the fact that you lost the ability or, or once you left junior, you no longer had the ability to wear double zero. What's the story behind wanting to wear that number and how disappointed are you that by the time you got to the show, is Marty Biron the last one to get to wear it? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Marty Biron, our good buddy, is the last one to wear it. Marty B.I. is the last one to wear it during his call-up, I think, 95-96 with the Sabres from the Quebec League, an emergency call-up. And uh, after that, they had told, the reason I wore double zeros when I was younger, it was starting to become a popular number when I was a kid. And I mentioned Mike Torquia earlier, who ended up playing a couple of games, five games, I think, for the Dallas Stars in his career and then played pro after that. But um, I mentioned him been playing for Kitchener in that Memorial Cup in 1990. But Torch used to wear double zero for a while. And then, you know, I knew him. They lived down the street from us in the same neighborhood in Toronto at the time. And Torch was a freak. Incredible goalie. One of the best glove hands I've ever seen. Overweight, heavy, chubby, round. Some might say on the obese side of the scale, but one of the best goalies that I ever saw growing up. Incredible, nimble, athletic, great catcher in baseball, more athletic than you'd ever think. And he wore double zero for a while. So at that point, I'm like, yo, that's, that's my, I love that. That's my digits right there. I'm going to wear those. I'm going to rock double zeros. And I wore them, you know, for the most part, minor hockey. And then when I got to the O, I got to wear them. And then when I was in uh, the HL, I got to wear them. When I was in the IHL, I got to wear it in Fort Wayne. And then my last year in the IHL, I, I ended up switching to 80 because it was the closest looking number to double zero. And I started playing hockey, as I told you, in 1980. And we had an 80 in our first address back home in Toronto oh, as, nice. a, as a kid. So okay, it's kind that of, uh, that. yeah, that kind of, and the NHL implemented that number rule. I couldn't rock it anymore, nor could Marty. So that's kind of the story behind it. Okay, so because uh, numbers did have meaning before, like it's totally. funny we we've seen a disappearance in the number one, right? Like it used to be. I remember Luongo had the best line ever to me when I asked him, you know, why do you wear number one? He's like, well, because number one says it all. Um, you know, yeah, for the longest time, guys were at, they were given one thirty, thirty five, something like that, and and we've kind of seen that. Uh, I don't know. We've seen, it feels like we've seen that uniqueness disappear a little bit in terms of numbers meaning certain things. 
you know what we have and i think it's a shame and you know i'm i'm kind of a hybrid between a lot of things old school and you know manners and these types of things and values and i was raised that way and all that stuff courtesies and but i also like some of the new school i'm a little hybrid a lot of my fundamentals are old school but i still feel like in hockey although it's getting better now especially with younger coaches but in my time it was hard there was a lot of hard edge people that were always hard edge and not always for the right reasons just to be like contrarians no you can't I'm guessing, I'm guessing you heard a lot of that in terms because you had some great gear design. You did you did you have pushback at various points in terms of you know yeah, the, 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 the Panther of, yeah, pads, totally like gear design, mass painting. Then it's this, then it's that. Then what car are you driving? Who does this guy think he is? Like it was honest to God, it was way too much. It would never fly today in that in that aspect. And a lot of the things that you know I experienced and other players would have experienced through their time where that stuff's concerned. A lot of it was just needless. Do you know what I mean? So the number, to your point, listen, I don't want to see Mike Modano wear 21. And he doesn't have to be Mike Modano, per se, to be able to wear. Like, I, I know Ray Ferraro is number 20. You know what I mean? I know Ronnie Francis is number 10. I know Tom Barrasso is 35. And you don't have to be a star. You don't have to be a superstar player. But, you know, that was part of the identity. And, of course, we're a team for a sport. We know that. But no matter who, the Kurt McLean and anything other than one would look strange. Would he not? Oh, absolutely. Right? Bobby Lou, Lou and anything other than one would look strange. Just like Marty, 29 looked actually better on Marty, but Marty wearing 34, he wouldn't look like Marty Brodeur in the net. And who knows? He might not feel like Marty Brodeur. I'll tell you a quick story. So I signed with the Devils my last two years, and I love the great Lou Lamorello, uh, currently the GM of the Islanders, but the architect of the Devils, Hockey Hall of Famer, the Don, that is Lou Lamorello. And I remember I signed there, and I wanted to get number 80. They wouldn't let me have it. Their trainer at the time, Richie Matthews, three-time Stanley Cup trainer, I might add, who just won another one with St. Louis Blues. So I'm like, Richie, man, I want to rock 80, man. I want to rock my number. I feel weird. Like, what do you mean? He's like, we see Lou will let you wear 40. I'm like, 40, man. All right. I'm born the fourth day of the fourth month, April 4th. I can rationalize the four. The zero kind of ties in from the eight or the double zero. But it didn't feel like me. But I'm like, okay, I'll rock it. We played a preseason game against, I want to say it's the Rangers. I think Abe's ran me, if I'm not mistaken. And I got a, a concussion this preseason game. I come back to the rink about four days later to do a light skate. And I get to do a practice rink in Jersey here. And uh, I see in my stall, there's number one. I'm like, no, who's that for? And Richie's like, uh, we see, don't ask. Lou thought it was bad juju for you to have number 40. I'm like, I told you it was bad juju from the beginning. I didn't want to rock number 40 from the start. He's like, I know, I know. But, you know, it's kind of closest we can get to your 80, blah, blah, blah. But Lou thinks it's bad juju to wear 40. Now you got hurt. So you're wearing number one. And honestly, I don't think I wore, like, that number. I wore it in Florida for a little bit when I was coming in the league, but it just didn't feel right. A single-digit number for me just never felt right on my back. And that's what I love about what Lou said. It says it all. And that's synonymous with him, just like Patty Watt's synonymous with 33. Um, you know, the Eagle being a legend and, and Ed Belfour going from 30 to 20, and you know the story behind that, Kev. That was because of his respect for their goalie coach, the great Vladislav Tretiak. Tretiak, And yeah. the great goalie, yeah. you know, Hall of Famer Tretiak. So 
that was a, an ode to him because a lot of people don't know. And I used to see him because it was a rink by my parents' house in Toronto when I was skating in the summer. Eddie Belfour would come and skate and do drills and instruct, but also do drills at Vladislav Tretiak's goalie camp in the summer in Toronto. And Tretiak was that. a goalie coach for the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's why Eddie, the Eagle, switched to number 20. But yeah, numbers are very personal, I think. I feel like they're, they're very personal, especially after you establish yourself in the league. I just, you know, I wore 35 in van. I didn't feel like myself at all. I wore number okay. one in Florida. I didn't feel like myself at all. So I'm guessing that as a man with as much style as you have, whether it's now in the studio, off the ice, or when you were playing with all the gear, like I, sure. I, picture, I picture you and Lundqvist being a very, that's an easy synergy. But I look back <laughs> to Carolina, I look at those like the dragon pads in Carolina, yeah. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, so what is Kevin Weeks thinking when he looks across the locker room and there's Archer Zerbe with those giant white pillows? <laughs> Somebody and asked that you mask. that last week. <laughs> great, must be great uh, minds thinking alike there. Oh my God. Somebody asked me that last week. Kev, I got to tell you, man, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, here's the first disclaimer Archie and I were super close. Another thing people don't know, we had the same agent and Paul Theophanis who I currently have in TV now. And uh, for those of you who don't know, he represents Panarin, but for the goalie union, he also has Bobrovsky and Varlamov and uh, the young Ilya Sorokin, who should be signing with, uh, with the Islanders shortly, who has a chance to be a young star in this league, like Shesterkin has become for the Rangers. All yeah. that to say, Archie... He's a beauty. Look, I've, beyond beauty, I've never seen a guy get dressed, any goalie at any level, maybe not even for street hockey, in, in three minutes. No, three, three, really. Three and change. Skates, pads, gloves, ready to go. Old school Jofa helmet with the old uh, Russian cage on it. Ready to go. Three and a half and that's And that's with a lot of leather straps and metal buckles back then. That's we're not talking, we're not talking Velcro. Exactly. No Velcro, no clasps, no clips, no magnets, no any, no modern technology to his gear. And what's so crazy about it too is I don't know if you heard this, Kev, but for the listeners, this will be cool. Because we'd come in after, say he was playing, okay? And, I don't know, say we're in Carolina. Who are we playing? We're playing Atlanta. we come in after the first period. Arch would take off a lot of his gear, and he's sewing his glove. I'm like, Arch, what are you doing? I just have to do this to, you know, repair this part of the glove. I'm like, Arch, we're in the league, uh... bro. Like, what are you doing? Like, ah, you don't want to waste anything. So I love Archie. He's such a hardworking person, great spirit, all class, team first, old school worker. And he just felt like it was wasteful because don't forget, he's a proud Latvian as his young superstar, I think, in the making of Elvis Merzlikens. And, uh, he's a, and, and Archie is a proud Latvian through the Soviet invasion. And he knew that it was difficult. And if you remember, he ended up playing internationally for USSR for years before he played for Latvia. Right. And those are life lessons and life experiences that are hard to, to forget and that are so impressionable on you. So he felt like he didn't want to waste gear. And that's why he would repair his own gear. You know, Carolina, they still have a lot of our same trainers. And uh, Skippy and Bobby Gorman, two of the best in the league that have been around for seemingly 147 years. I know I'm exaggerating, but their longevity speaks to uh, how great they're at their craft. And they would just be like, Arch, whatever you need. But, and, you know, Wally Tadamer, they'd be like, yeah, whatever you need, Arch, no problem. 
so he was very particular about maintaining and sewing his own stuff and and the look and to your point the aesthetic of it was he's all his gear looked street hockey but he loved that about it he'd get that little smile going and whenever my new stuff would show up i got new Vaughn stuff show up and guys be like oh we see those are sick or oh man why, why don't you put more black in those or too much red in those whatever and Archie just had his old school gear, man. He just stayed loyal to that old school Jofa gear. But the moral of the story is there's different ways to do things and there's room for different opinions. And there's also always remember, these are the tools of the trade for a lot of your listeners. You know, it's one thing to look sweet. It's one thing to, you know, look at the aesthetic. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm a function guy first. Functionality is very important, form and function. And then the aesthetic is, is last. So I, I've been to the Vaughn plant numerous times, both in London, Ontario, and in Michigan. I've been to the Bryce plant numerous times. I used to go up to see John Brown in Collingwood, Ontario. And those are the tools of the trade, man. You, you got to make sure that you use what works well for you, what protects you, what's comfortable, and can allow you to optimize your performance. All those things are important. You can't just wear gear because we see people wearing it on TV. That's a, it's a great point. I think that's what we try and do with our reviews, not tell you what's best, but tell you how mm. it feels, how it fits and you know, how it would Super perform helpful. on the ice and, and let everyone else decide whether it fits their game, fits their style, because it is an important, totally. it's like, we're not, it, it's not quite Ichiro Suzuki with the, you know, humidors for his bats, but we're, we're, right. not, we're not far from it, to be honest. It's, it's, it's a key part. Now, Hey, the other part you just touched on, there is no one way to play this position, to wear gear for this position. And that is what we love about it. So my last question, because I always got to have a last question. I can't believe how long we've been talking, but it's been oh, so good. enjoyable. I lost track of time. My last one is where you ended with with Marty. And we talk about, you know, no one way to play this position. You go from Lundquist to Brodeur. Just talk about some of the lessons playing mm-hmm. with a Martin Brodeur, especially coming off of Henrik. Like from what I can see from my, like Henrik mm-hmm. is famous for his intensity and mm-hmm. on game days especially. And then there's Marty who could do a major media interview at five o'clock and, and be stopping pucks at seven. Like the juxtaposition there in terms of no one way to necessarily do this. What was it like playing behind each guy and the contrast? And how did you have to learn, you know, as a, as a guy who was there to support as well as compete with, you mm-hmm. know, when to stay out of the way and, and how to get along with two very different personalities, <laughs> at least on game day? Yeah, no. Okay, I'm laughing and I'm snickering. Okay, let's start with 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 Marty, right? He's the all-time winningest goalie. So, Marty, easy, smiley. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know. Yeah. But part of that is Marty's personality, a big part of that. Another part of that was the environment in Jersey because it was a culture of excellence. And Lou, you know, I, played, I tried telling this up the other day. I think the combined... Stanley Cup rings for the general managers I played played for is at 14. And Lou won three of them. And Lou's been in Stanley Cup final five times as the architect of the Devils. And as I mentioned, he's now with the Islanders. The reason why I tell you that is every detail. And I'm a detail person, so I love that. Everything. From, literally from in the new arena at the Prudential Center, which isn't as new anymore, but at the time when we moved in there, um, having the Devil logo on the urinals, on the top of the urinals like by the hand flusher, that top circle. So you see the logo, like that level of hyper detail. So that worked really well for Marty. And the reason why I say that, and the Devils, of course, and for all of us, but um, for him as a face of the franchise for as long as he was there, because it allowed him to be at ease. 
and he was an at ease person. So that meshed with his personality. Right. And the fact that Lou had everything done to the detail, the great players that were there, the great role players that had outstanding careers like Johnny Madden, uh, Jay Pandolfo, Sergey Breland, you know, some of the unsung guys that did some of the unsavory work there in different roles and penalty kill and defensive shutdown guys, etc. So for Marty, like, and then the fact that Lou wasn't playing head games with him and he knew he was going to be in the net. So those kind of things really meshed so well with his personality and allowed him to be loosey goosey. And another thing too, for him, which is interesting. And a lot of people don't necessarily know this, but his longtime goalie coach, Jacques Caron, who's known as Coot, uh, that's his nickname, Coot. And uh, Jacques Caron was great for Marty and he would come down and he would have these affirmations after periods, Marty, one shot at a time, next shot, next save. Don't forget your five minute segments, play the game in five minute segments. You don't have to play the whole game at one time, play five minutes at a time, reset, look up at the clock, five minutes, reset, look up at the clock, break the game down into mini games, like all these little things. But he was, he was so comforting for Marty and and their relationship that they had with each other. And that allowed them to really maximize on Marty's easygoing nature. And I really think that that helped him. And he played so much hockey and he never got wound tight. So it's a different personality type because I, I'm going to say this with the ultimate respect to Marty being the all time winningest goalie and most shutouts and everything else. And he knows that. But I was able to take from Marty what Marty did in playing. I was able to take that and now apply that to doing TV. And I'm going to tell you why I say that. After being an NHL goalie and playing in the league and playing in the league for a long time and being in different roles from a one guy to a prospect to a supposed young guy to a real number one guy to a backup to a 1B and playing all those different roles outside of all-star and superstar, it, it kind of liberated me a lot. And playing with Marty at the end, not while I played with him, but after, I was like, if this guy's this chill, I'm going to be this chill. And that just kind of became my thing in TV. I still had the fire and let's go and the passion that you talked about earlier. But in television, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, we got to do this. And we got to have this meeting. We got to do that meeting. We got to be here. Then we got to be there four hours early to look at the paint on the wall. Don't we have to, I'm like, guys, just turn the camera on. And that was Marty in the net. Yeah, let's, let's, all right, let's go. Yeah. Love, yeah. love it. And go put a show on. So that was Marty to encapsulate him. Hank at the other end was more of the fire, the passion that I just talked about. And not that Marty didn't have that because Marty clearly had that. But Marty's was tempered with his Zen chill. Whereas Hank's was unbridled. It was a fire. It's the jam. It's the let's go, let's go, let's go. And I remember, I'll tell you a story. I remember Hank, when we played at home at the Garden when I was with the Rangers, we played against Washington and we lost a shootout. Ole Kolzig was in the net. And no, that wasn't the iconic Merrick Malik uh, shootout goal, obviously <laughs> enough. <laughs> it wasn't that game, but we lost to them in a shootout. And Yager went in the shootout. He hated going in shootouts. And Tom Rennie put him out. Our coach put him out in the shootout. Yager hated going. And he went and he shot high glove and I think Ole got a piece of it. And we bear in mind this is Hank's rookie year, right? This Hendricks rookie year. So we get in the locker room after the game. You know, I'm backing up. He finished playing. He played a great game, of course. And we get in the room and some of the guys are starting to file in and Hank jams his mask in his locker and his stall up. 
I can't, I can't believe this. I can't, I can't do this. You can't go glove on that guy. What the? And I'm like, Hanky, take it easy, bro. Hanky, it's Yara Mary Yager. Right, Cap? I'm like, Hanky, be cool, man. Hank, no, I'm not going to. I can't. I'm like, Hanky, yo, Hanky, Hanky, be cool. This is Yogs, man. Like, Yogs went on to have 121 points that year, by the way. And one of the best players in the history of the world. I'm like, Hanky, be cool. No, no, I'm not going to. So anyway, from then, I was like, Hank, you got to chill. And your money already, like, you're incredible. You're already one of the best in the league. But Yogs is Yermer Yager, man. That guy's going to end up second all time in points. I don't care. He can't shoot. So from that point, I said to him, like, Hank, listen, man, you're going to lose your game. Even the great Dominic Hasek lets in goals your time. Don't worry about it, man. Put my arm around his shoulder, whatever. Sure enough, who does Henrik eclipse to be the winningest European-born goalie in NHL history? The great Dominic Hasek. So everybody has their own makeup in short. Everybody has their own kind of way about them and, you know, our own personality, our own traits. And Henrik tended to be on the scale fiery, but that same fire is what's made him great. It's what made him be able to handle being here in New York and play at the world's most famous arena and be as great as long as he has and still feel and believe that he's great today. And I see, I go to games at the garden when my schedule allows, I get to about eight or 10 of them a year. And I, I saw Hank earlier this year and I saw him play two great games. He can still play. As you know, Kev, and for the great listeners out there, it's just the challenge of there's only one goalie can play in the net at a time. They have two 24-year-olds. But, hey, who knows? Maybe he gets in in the playoffs. They play Carolina. Hank has been skating, as I mentioned, at the top of the show. So, um, And as he posted on his Instagram. So I'll be curious to see where this goes. But that's the difference between those two guys. But both greats, both Hall of Famers, Marty already, obviously, and uh, Henrik, a sure, a sure shot, like uh, our good buddy Bobby Lou. Having played with those guys, um, they're sure shot Hall of Famers, no question. Yeah, and the passion that that binds them is the passion we see from you too, Kevin. Hey, listen, man, like we could probably start another ten minute conversation and and have a and <laughs> Anytime, I can, man. I'd love to go to bat on for Henrik, man. I will tell you, the trade deadline shows that talked about Henrik being done. I was like, have you guys watched the games yeah, this didn't. guy's played? Mike, yeah, this guy can yeah, still exactly. play. Anyways, I digress. Totally. No, no, um, you don't have to. I echo. I echo your sentiment because yeah, I've seen it he, firsthand. He can still play. And, and he can still kick. Totally. Absolutely. Um, hey, listen, I really appreciate you doing this, spending My so pleasure, much time man. with us. I'm not sure what the bigger crime is, that it took us 71 episodes of the Ingo Radio podcast to get you <laughs> or that I didn't I didn't wait another nine and make it episode 80. But Kevin, <laughs> thank you so much for well taking the time. Our uh, listeners are going to love this. And such a wealth of knowledge, so good at what you do now. And we really enjoy it. I, I'm sure there's going to be a chance down the road. I feel like we could have another hour conversation and still find new stories. So I might hold you to that down the road. Let's do that. I'll be nipping at your heels to do it again. Kev, thank you. Uh, I really love everything that you're doing and everything you guys have been doing. You guys do an outstanding job. It's industry leading. And it's a great resource for you know the pros to weekend warriors who I'm a big advocate of and all the, you know, the young aspiring girls and boys that play the position in, uh, in minor hockey around the world and for coaches and for hockey fans in general, in addition to the stuff that you do for us over at NHL.com as well. So keep up the great work. I'm going to end on this too. Thanks to all the frontline workers and the essential service workers right now. And uh, you're always the MVPs. And I always shout out the, uh, the men and women in the allied armed forces as well. Without you, there's no us. 
stay hockey strong, stay COVID uh, strong together as a hockey family as we continue to battle this and look forward to seeing the NHL back on the ice not too soon. And make sure you check me out on my Instagram live at Kev Weeks. You knew going in it was going to be a long one. Uh, Kevin Weeks, uh, broadcaster with Kevin Woodley, uh, king of the one more question. Uh, that was uh, that was fun. Uh, it's fun. To, I know Weeks, he covers uh, all aspects of the game, but they allow him uh, some time to really dive into his passion. His position was was neat. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that conversation. And it's funny. It's one of those ones where you know a guy. Like we, I started covering the NHL in 2000, literally a couple months after he got traded out of Vancouver. So I just missed him here, but... Obviously, our path crossed writing about goaltenders while he was still in the league. And and he's been very kind to us as we got started in the early days of in goal. I remember going to a uh, a, a Brian's event uh, with the equipment company Brian's up in Ontario one year. And on the way back to the to the airport, stopping in to meet him for the first time. And he gave me one of the no five hole shirts and just was so generous with his time and advice. Um, just he's he's been really good to us over the years. and. You know, it, it really is, like I said at the end there, I'm not sure what I'm more embarrassed about, that it took us 71 episodes to work him in or that we didn't wait another nine and play on his number 80 and have him tied <laughs> into that. So, uh, But it was good to get him on. And you know, as, as people can probably tell, there are at least another couple hours worth of stories that he would have to share that people would find interesting. So uh, we'll make sure we double back with him down the road. Uh, number 80, uh, Woody uh, and Hutch, interesting to hear his commentary about wearing his number and the number that he was comfortable with uh, compared to what we heard on the in goal in person a webinar with Braden Holby. Well, yeah, after the splits, I think the story about the number was one of my favorites uh, and I could never do it justice. The, when, when Holby said, was asked how he came up with number 70 and he just sort of deadpan that he looked in his locker, there's number 70 hanging and he thought, well, you guys got big plans for me. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's uh yeah that was um so what what a contrast that is and and funny Kevin you mentioned getting the no five hole gear from him because uh, quite by accident I happen to be wearing the no five hole T shirt you brought back from that meeting for me so quality gear holding up after all these years uh, Kevin was really good to me uh, in fact even before I met Woody I uh, did the first couple of interviews that I ever had when we started in goal up and when he was still playing in the National Hockey League, that was a, a real thrill for me as a young guy starting this out. So really thankful for the relationship with uh, with Weeksy over the years. Rarity, these, uh, he's one of the few people that's uh, done the circuit in the New York area. All three playing teams. Playing for the Devils. All yeah. three teams, yeah. Thank you. I, 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 my brain was not, I, I had to think about that. You're I right. I thought you covered it up well. You say Rarity, anybody else? I don't know. Uh, do, 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 Healy do. played for the Islanders and the Rangers. The Rangers, not the Devils. Uh, no, so I don't. He might be the only one. Might be. Trivia question. Let us know in the comments if we've forgotten. Yeah. But I, I, my, my favorite part is not just coming up with that little factoid, but uh, but Woody's reaction. I wish, uh, like, it, it, it's very peacockish with a, where you see a peacock <laughs> poke his head up and look around and like, what, huh? Where's, where's Mallard going with that one? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it's not my facial expressions getting hammered. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, uh, the uh, the number thing was cool, and uh, and this Lundqvist uh, Brodeur comparison. I mean, what a what a treat to be able to uh, share a, a tandem with Brodeur and Henrik Lundqvist. Wow, 
Yeah, and I, I love the story early on. I mean, we kind of double back on Lundquist and, and Berner towards the end of his career at the end of the interview, but early on talking about, you know, Lundquist coming over out of the lockout and and really almost like snapping his fingers, completely changing who he was as a goaltender to the point where Kevin even said it there. He didn't realize at the time, like he just thought this was Henrik, the Henrik we see now, or, or at least, you know, an early evolution of it in terms of that inside out, you know, play a little deeper, maybe not as deep as he does now, but sort of three quarters depth or middle, middle of the crease. He adapted to it so quickly that Kevin didn't really, he said he didn't even realize that when he played in Sweden just a year before and he, and he won a championship in Sweden against NHLers during the lockout of 0405. Henrik's told that he was an outside in goaltender. He would come way out and challenge and retreat with the play. And that was what Ben Waller told us too early in Henrik's career. That's how we knew this guy was going to be special because his ability to completely change how he played and embrace a new philosophy, his willingness to do it, and then his ability to pick it up, that's what makes the greats great. And it was so interesting to me that, that Kevin, he was so damn good at it that Kevin didn't even realize he used to play an entirely different style. Uh, Brodeur, same thing, like in the sense that he was so old school and then adapted uh, and, and, and threw in some, uh, some different coverage uh, options into his game. But, I mean, the, uh, the approach by the two is just be able, night. to be able to be a fly in the wall oh, when night and watch day. those two. Night what a and privilege. And Kevin, Kevin got into that. So, and, and like yeah. he said, like he said, um, you know, a lot of Berdur in his broadcast mentality as well in terms of not, you know, the way Marty was able to take everything so calmly and casually and not get worked up and not, not get stressed about the, de- have the details taken care of, but not get stressed about them. Yeah. Do the work but not, uh, not stress. That's a tough thing to do. Uh, and some people need the stress. They, they, they thrive on it and, and really need that jumping off point. Uh, fantastic interview. Uh, you're right. Uh, we were long overdue to get uh, Kevin on. Uh, just a reminder, the uh, Goalie Customizer CCM contest uh, with the Axis gear closes on Sunday. Looking forward to uh, the final submissions coming in and uh, the different creativity that, we, uh, that we've seen to carry through. Yeah, you got to make sure you go to the customizer. All the links are on ingoalmag.com or, or the link is in our bio at Instagram. Uh, po- design your set, post it to either Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag CCM Axis All Out. Do it by Sunday night at midnight because at that point you are all out as in all out of time and luck to enter <laughs> this contest. We got about five days set aside to go through what is currently over a thousand entries. Uh, with our celebrity judges, Charlene Labonte, four-time Olympic gold medal winner, Roberto Luongo, and John Sebastian Jaguer. Really looking forward to that process, if not the volume that goes into it. Make sure you get your entry in in time. Probably the most common question we're getting through messages, can I enter more than once? Short answer is absolutely. Post as many sets as you want. Just be aware that uh, if you're lucky enough to be the winner, that's the set you're getting. Yeah, so if you go real bold, Darren, when you design your entry, well, like you said, you're not qualified to win. But if you decide to go crazy with the purples and the and just like you know, like you're at a tie dye, yeah, or you're like you're at a four year old birthday party with the splatter paint, yeah, that may look sharp and it may attract our judges. But you got to wear that on the ice because the winning set that's chosen is the one that gets designed. You don't get to backtrack to one of your earlier entries. So. That's something I've thrown into the DMs that we've gotten as a as a caveat. We want it to pop, 
but you got to be willing to wear it. Thanks for the uh, clarification. I'm going to just to rethink what I was going to, to put forward <laughs> because I, I did have a, a, a slightly, let's say, a brave approach uh, that, was, uh, that was on the agenda. In goal, in person, coming up uh, this weekend, Hutch, we have uh, just uh, one final reminder on, on what we have in store. Absolutely. Details at uh, ingoalmag.com. You can register there for the webinar. You have to register because we've got limited spots. Uh, world junior champion Joel Holfer and his summer coach Eli Wilson will be joining us and answering questions about uh, goaltending, goaltending development. Two fantastic guys. I look forward to it. And this is what you call an Easter egg. I'm planting this in here. Uh, maybe we'll get something out of uh, out of Joel that uh, rivals uh, the type of information that Braden Holtby offered up in the fact that he takes a guitar, a little guitar on the road with him on road trips. So, uh, Put a little hashtag guitar if you've uh, listened to the very end of this, and I'll see just how many people are uh, are listening right to the very end. Do you guys are familiar with Easter eggs, right? And these kind of things. Those are the things you hunt on Easter morning, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so a uh, hashtag guitar. Maybe we'll see what uh, what happens uh, in goal in person uh, with Eli and Joel. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, thanks to Kevin Weeks for our feature interview this week. And uh, thanks to uh, Kevin and Hutch for the great conversation, especially around uh, what uh, we're going to see in phase two of the uh, NHL's return to play plan regarding goaltenders. I'm Darren Millar. Thanks for listening. We'll chat with you again on In Goal Radio, the podcast.